The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 106 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus, along with my co-host, the CISO of Siena, Andy Manillo. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on the show are my own and that of my president and past employers. I will never disclose any sense of intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before we get started, I remind our listeners, you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest interesting news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. HUB.com. So, great show last week with Mark DeReich as we, we took a look at the human side of cybersecurity. Because the cybersecurity industry is so tech heavy, I think we often overlook the fact that it's still people. It's people that make the difference across this whole space. So, the show was really just a, brush, a breath of fresh air for me as we spoke to author, mentor, and board advisor. Mark DeRike. So what a nice guy Mark is. He was really open with us about what his passions are, what drives him personally, and how he constantly looks to improve upon his weaknesses and even some of the career decisions that he has made to directly address self-identified areas where he thought he needed to work on, which is really interesting. Um, you know, some of these decisions he made really just thrust him right into environments to take these, uh, these issues and opportunities head on. So really uh, fascinating, fascinating to listen to. Um, he's an accomplished cybersecurity professional and entrepreneur. And he talked to us about how his passions led him to mentor young people and how to navigate their cybersecurity careers. He also talked to us about something very interesting in terms of one of his goals that he set for himself, and that was to educate 1 million people on the importance of cybersecurity and how that came about in his life and why giving back to the cybersecurity community is really so important to him. So Mark is a self-made entrepreneur who grew up in a rough neighborhood and has no formal education beyond high school, right? So I know uh, there's a lot of people out there that are in the cybersecurity space that don't have formal education. So I think for them, this would be particularly interesting. Um, and despite, you know, being possibly at a disadvantage when he was young and having no formal education, I think his passion for life and influencing the masses really helped him in, in, in starting his own successful business and also as a successful professional cybersecurity advisor to a great many people in a, in a wide range of verticals, right? So folks, do yourself a favor. Don't miss this inspiring interview with someone who focuses on self-reflection, personal impact, 
in life's journey to guide his career decisions in a very, very complex cybersecurity environment. It's definitely worth a listen. That's Mark DeRike on last week's episode. That's episode number 105 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, if you're listening to us right now live on Voice America, or maybe someone just sent you the link to this episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 Radio episodes on playback. Just go to our new TF7 Radio site at www.tf7radio.com and hit the episode tab at the top of the homepage, and you can find all the TF7 Radio episodes at your fingertips. You can also search our guest library, which is the most impressive list of some of the most prolific cybersecurity professionals in the world. And of course, we have our news section as well, where you can check out the latest cybersecurity news and news on Task Force 7 Radio, which you can even write comments on and talk with people who also listen to the show, which is pretty cool. So check us out, folks, www.tf7radio.com to hear any of our episodes at your convenience, 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We love it. We love it when you subscribe. Yes, we do. So we're going to unpack the intelligence and network defense models tonight for you. How cool is that? We're going to do this by bringing in two very special guests who are experts in this space, who have a ton of experience doing this, and our co-founders of their own intelligence and, and network defense startup, Strike Ready. Right? What a cool name that is, right? Strike Ready. So Yasir Halid is currently the CEO of Strike Ready. Before starting Strike Ready, Yasir was the head of threat research and intelligence at Blue Hexagon. That's a Silicon Valley startup focused on protecting against network threats using deep learning. And prior to joining uh, Blue Hexagon, Yasir spent 10 years at FireEye, where he architected some of the core threat detection technologies of FireEye, including the MX, uh, MVX engine and second-generation network threat detection products. His work has led to the filing of more than 15 patents on various aspects of FireEye's core technologies. Very cool, right? Well, super smart guy. So, also this evening is the co-founder and product manager of Strike, Re- Strike Ready, Anurag Gertu. Now, prior to Strike Ready, Mr. Gertu ran product marketing for the data science and machine learning division at Splunk. In 2015, Splunk acquired Mr. Gertu's prior startup, where he helped define a new cybersecurity market category called user behavior analytics. And UBA is, is, is uh, very popular, obviously, right now. I'm sure a lot of you are very familiar with, familiar with it. Use it in your tools, use it in your processes. So he was one of the people that helped define this new market. And back in 2013, Mr. Gertu headed technical, uh, technical marketing and competitive intelligence at FireEye while he was still a private company. So before FireEye, Mr. Gertu spent time at Cisco, another big name where he was instrumental in creating and launching multiple product categories that span from virtualization to cybersecurity. Mr. Gertu's first two startups were acquired by Tripwire and Oracle. <laughs> right? Very, very you know, difficult things to do, folks. And this comes as no surprise. He's very well educated. Mr. Gertu graduated with a master's degree in computer networks from the University of Southern California and holds numerous cybersecurity certifications, including his CISSP and CCNP. So it's my pleasure to welcome this evening's guest, co-founders of Strike Ready, Mr. Anurag Gertu and Mr. Yasir Khalid. Anurag and Yasir, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Hey, guys. Good morning, uh, George. Hey, it's good to have you guys on. I know you guys are 
in the middle of a little bit in the middle of a crisis out there, and I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us with all the fires that are going on and the high winds and everything in California. And look, you know, uh, you know, I hope that uh, everything's going to be okay for you folks out there. But man, you know, just appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Um, lots of hype about artificial intelligence and in all the domains of cybersecurity these days. And I wanted to ask you a question right, right out of the gate about this, because I want to know if you think that AI will assist us in solving these significant cybersecurity challenges that we have today. And if so, when is that actually going to happen? So, yeah. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, Yasser here. Uh, thanks for having us, George, Andy. Uh, so, uh, I think uh, we are on a very right, uh, go- a good path towards that. A- AI, uh, there are a lot of different domains of AI that have been going really good. If you had asked this question, I think a couple of years ago, three, four years ago, I think I might have been reluctant in answering that uh, because uh, the tech was not there. Uh, they were like the computing power and things were not there. But things have changed uh, over the last uh, couple of years. A uh, lot of uh, good progress has been made. Uh, the AI has come to our homes. It is, it is uh, how we are driving toward works by test, uh, self-driving cars. And uh, we are communicating with our phones every day. And it's improving every day. So, uh, and... Um, one of the domains like deep learning, my previous gig was uh, with, a, with a startup uh, that was utilizing deep learning so to solve the network uh, threats uh, problem. So they are doing pretty good, uh, which uh, and the problem. So uh, we are definitely on the right path. I think in the next couple of years, by around three years time frame, we should be able to see that, okay, uh, deep learning and technology like deep learning AI would definitely be helping us solving the cybersecurity problem in a better way. What do you think is going to be the first use case that gets solved? Um, first use case that gets solved. Mm. Uh, so I uh, I think uh, as of right now, from my previous experience, uh, the data for solving the cybersecurity uh, problem is around like malware detection. So right now, uh, where it is getting applied a lot more is is in the malware problem. But I think we are going to have a shift from it in different domains uh, of cybersecurity uh, and I, uh, other fields as well. Um, it can be cybersecurity. Uh, the next wave can be in the form of uh, uh, of, of how we communicate to different technologies, uh, uh, different cybersecurity technologies that we have, uh, we how we communicate with them. That can uh, AI can come to that. Uh, by that I mean a lot of analytics work, a lot of business analytics around cybersecurity. I think the problem that CISOs are facing, the problem, uh, the de- data visualization and data visibility or analytics problems that are being uh, uh, there is a lot of massive information overload, right? So. I think AI can uh, start solving that massive information overload problem next, and that can be really helpful and uh, helpful for sure. So you you mentioned detection there, and uh, look, mm-hmm. I don't think it you know advancements in malware detection obviously are a very good thing if that happens over the next thirty six months. But there's a battle going on between vendors on whose detection is the best, right? And then there's there's this obviously uh, you know battle for business out there in the, in the cybersecurity world. What are your thoughts around? around that and, and how that's panning out right now. Yeah, so this battle has been going on for, for lots and lots of years. And I think uh, what, what happens is over the period of time, and Anurag and I, I think uh, that is where uh, 
uh, our friendship started back in the day 2012 2013 we were actually at fire when we met uh, anurag was leading um, uh, technical marketing and uh, like competitive intelligence and i was heading threat research and fire uh, so we actually were in the um, in the middle of this battle a um, lot of different so malware problem was growing uh, actually the threat landscape uh, landscape was also changing so we saw many vendors security vendors started to come in and what was happening was not one single vendor was good in detecting or uh, preventing threats of all sorts so in that case what happened was there were like different features aspects that were lacking in security vendors and they would actually come and it will become a full fledged product out of it make a full fledged product out of it there were like too many vendors coming in uh, so what would happen is not one single vendor will be good in all of the domains but at a given point of time uh, some fe feature will become a product and at that given time uh, uh, time and space uh, vendors will be good in detecting those aspects uh, certain aspects of malware kill chain or malwares or types of malwares or threats so what what we realized was uh, yeah uh, so for a particular uh, type of threats for a particular uh, kind of malware definitely uh, there will be certain vendors that are better than the other one in the end companies have to decide uh, how are they being targeted what are they dealing with into day to day of, uh, in day to day operations uh, in in their organization so um, certain vendors will definitely be better than the other vendors for certain uh, organizations uh, but there will be a lot of vendor noise uh, every vendor will be uh, claiming uh, like that they have the best detection or best prevention methodology uh, over other vendors but in the end the, i think the organizations have to decide how their layer defense uh, they have laid out their security architecture and in that security ar architecture which vendors would perform best for them you, know, you just you just mentioned layer defense and i want to i want to get into that but i also you know just thinking about something here we're talking about detection we're talking about artificial intelligence uh, and we're you know and prevention detection and how these vendors are sort of battling it out in in the industry um, but artificial intelligence is sure to advance the uh, the creation and sophistication of malware as well and here a lot of talk about this ai malware do you think artificial intelligence is going to help the bad guys more than it helps the good guys or maybe vice versa or is it going to be an even playing field with the with the new emerging technology Yes, see, it's, it's always the case that uh, the bad guys are, are ahead and the vendors are basically catching up. The good guys are behind, but uh, eventually good guys come to the same level, same ground playing field, but again, the bad guys take over. So I, I think uh, based on um, based on what Yash has said and based on uh, some, of your, some of your comments, um, the AI eventually will help uh, everyone make it become a, a playing field. Um, especially with the amount of data. And uh, if you start looking at uh, from a deep learning perspective, it's all about uh, training yourself on that massive amount of data set. Now, the question is who has that data set, right? Because the, the biggest problem uh, uh, that we run into uh, from an AI perspective is uh, if you don't have data, you cannot train algorithms. And you can go, go to the route of uh, unsupervised uh, learning, especially if you talk about the machine learning aspect, which is one of the buckets within the AI. But um, it it will have a massive amount of, of FPs initially. Um, so you you need to have a, a, a sort of a mixed combination of supervised and 
and unsupervised learning to basically train your algorithm and make them strong enough and then go further into the into the deep learning route where you can sort of uh, uh, make very accurate uh, decisions which are very high in, in confidence, right? So uh, all the decisions are probabilistic, but the, the question is, okay, whose confidence is much more stronger when you're making that decision? Another point do I do want to add, uh, and this is back in the days in, in FireEye, right, where we, we were talking about detection. Uh, it, it, uh, it basically all, all, all went down to um, not just detection in general. It was, uh, we were basically, Yasser and I used to like look at uh, every, uh, not every, but a lot of active attacks which were, which were going on at that very instance in time. And we were like ripping about those attacks in, in different aspects of skill chain. And we were focused on not, uh, from not uh, looking at just detection from a holistic perspective, okay, who blocked this specific attack, but we were looking at uh, detection from a perspective when you look at Lockheed skill chain is, okay, who is strong in what aspect of the kill chain? Who is really strong with CNC detection? Who is really strong with exploit detection? Who is really strong with the first stage droppers or the second stage dropper detection? And um, we were really surprised to see that certain vendors were extremely strong in one aspect of a kill chain versus the other. Um, and uh, I could not even generalize that, but b because we could say like, you know what, if you look at uh, a threat uh, and based on what that origin of the threat is and which country it's going after and what type of threat it is uh, or what category that threat uh, falls under, whether it's an APT, whether it's commodity malware, whether it's a Trojan, whether it's something else, uh, that could also fluctuate the detection uh, percentages of, of different vendors. So it was a very complex problem, and the, and the problem still exists. Like when when vendors claim, uh, oh, we are the strongest in detection. I mean, me and Asilus look and just just smirk at each other and say, well, that's pretty interesting to make us such a bold statement. So <laughs> just a few right. uh, memories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, I I have a question about layered defense, and you know, we often talk about defense and death postures here on the show. And, you know, I, I hear a lot of other people get uh, on, especially on some of the social media uh, sites, like, you know, like, hey, you know, what are you talking about defense and death? That's old school thinking. <laughs> like, that's, that doesn't even exist anymore, you know? Like, yeah. you're an old man. Like, go get your AARP card or something, right? It's just, what, what, is there a school of thought that says that layer def, uh, defense is, is really dead? And what do you think about that? Yeah, we, we have been hearing, hearing that as well. So again, different different opinions and everyone is entitled to them. No, we definitely feel, see, layer defense is not going to go away. I mean, we, we, there are folks talking about zero trust and stuff like that, but like, yeah, it's great to talk about it, but I don't think that's that's a reality as of now. Few years, yes, maybe. Uh, in in fact, I mean, I think based on your observations and based on based on ours, I mean, we know a lot of organizations don't even have their defense at this point in time. They might just have a firewall, and that's about it. Uh, and maybe their firewall is not completely out of date from a signature or the content perspective. So, layered defense is needed, um, um, no matter what you say. Um, all the all the assets in your organization are not going behind the firewall, right? I mean, they are. Uh, you have IoT-based devices. You have mobile devices. They are moving around. They, they might they are fluctuating from one. They're moving from one network to another. They're going home. So I mean, obviously, you're not backhauling all that traffic uh, through your corporate network, right? Which was the old school concept. Now you're doing breakouts at different uh, locations. Maybe there's a breakout sitting straight in your home office. You're not on VPN then, or there's a break.
break out uh, happening on your in your branch office, which uh, might have uh, a proxy in that case. They might not not even have firewall. So as of now, I mean, it's not it's not gone away. It's not going to go away any any time future, uh, because if you say layer difference goes away, then a lot of technology stacks, a lot of vendors will start disappearing, which is at least not what we see um, as of now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, in, because uh, from the lay defense point of view, there definitely has to be some consolidation on the vendor side. Like we mentioned, a lot of uh, vendors uh, span um, spun up because of uh, a feature that was lacking in certain vendors. Uh, so it became uh, a full-fledged product kind of thing. But in that sense, some consolidation has to happen. Um, and it it has been happening lately. So in future, we'll definitely see uh, some more consolidation. But yeah, no, I yeah, I don't see it going away either. Not at least not in the sense that I'm, you know, some people are saying. Uh, I mean, at, at some point, and I, I agree with what you said. I mean, there has to be a layered defense, you know, model in place. You know, pretty much no matter what. I mean, I'm sure there can be emphasis on different parts of that model, and that emphasis can change, and I think it will fluctuate over time depending on emerging technologies and how they come out. But you can't just sit there and say, you know, layered defense is going to is going to completely just vanish. Uh, Andy, what do you think? Uh, I, I don't think so either, but I would love to see some sort of consolidation to make it easier on SOCs and operation centers to be able to handle the massive amount of alerts and the alert fatigue that's going on, high false positive rates, just the overload is crazy, right? I mean, so, I mean, I don't, I think from a philosophy perspective, you know, I don't see how you're going to get rid of the layered defense model. However, tool consolidation would be fantastic uh, to make, you know, to simplify how we have to protect ourselves, what we use to protect ourselves or prevent attacks, right? It's just, there's just too much to try to integrate all the time. Um, so, you know, I think socks are just getting overloaded, um, you know, with, with alerts and having to figure out what's real and what's not. And tool consolidation will help with that. So I don't know, what's your, and, and you know, Sarah, what's, what are your thoughts on, Alert overload. Where do you think the industry is really going to go with this and what do they need to know? Yeah, uh, alert overload is uh, like um, my, like when when I was working for Wonderlay, so most of my professional life, I have worked for security vendors. And when we were starting our, uh, out on, on strike ready spot, like I think uh, I went back and discussed this with lot, lots of our friends in security, uh, security specifically, they were working in, in, in operations socks and, and there. And like, I was revalidating that man is still after so many technologies that have come up, uh, like SOAR and other things, uh, is the alert overload still a big, big, big problem. And uh, uh, so it is definitely real. Uh, I think a lot of time alert overload when people talk about it, um, it, it's a, it's used as a general term, uh, but like I think majority of the alert overload that happens are at, uh, not not every organization uh, suffers from the same kind of alert overload. A lot of time it is non malware related, non threats related alerts also that comes in uh, into uh, into their alert aggregating uh, tools that or uh, frameworks that they're using in that. But definitely it is there. Uh, they have to deal with alert overload. And uh, there has been some automation that is helping out. But still, uh, the number of when the tools, the number of vendors that has come to the market in last 10 years, it has definitely caused uh, uh, like uh, burnouts and all the other issues caused by the alert overload. 
All right, guys, we've got to transition to a commercial break right here. But stick with us, folks. We've got a lot more to come in this episode of Task Force 7 Radio. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7, that's with the number 7, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-needed-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, folks. I promise you, Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guests, the co-founders of Strike Ready, Mr. Anurag Gortu and Mr. Yasir Khalid. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guests, the co-founders of Strike Ready, Mr. Yasir Khalid and Mr. Anurag Gertu. So, gentlemen, you know, we were talking about over the break on, on, about threat intelligence and threat research, and so I'd like to get your opinion on, on air for our listeners. Over the course of time, how has threat research really evolved, and it, and it has been for the, for, the, for the good or for, for the worse, for the better or for the worse? Yeah, so uh, at least I think uh, uh, a lot of uh, things in threat research is kind of derived by the threat landscape. And we have definitely seen uh, like shifts in it. I I think uh, in a short span of time, uh, 10 years may not be that uh, that long of a time. But I think uh, at least I have seen uh, it shift at least two or three times. Uh, there was a time when there were like server side attacks were very uh, hard. Uh, a lot of products were focused on those side of things. And then it shifted towards like client side attacks, exploitations. And that's where a lot of frameworks around exploit uh, client side attacks comes in. Uh, and that uh, I think this was in time from 2009 to 2015. Uh, where uh, you would see a lot of uh, advanced threat actors, nation state actors, uh, they started to come along. So definitely there was a, a shift in threat landscape and that resulted in uh, like how threat research was uh, done. And then it shifted towards social engineering and a lot of different aspects, uh, other aspects. Uh, cloud started to gain lots and lots of traction. So uh, alongside threat uh, a landscape shift, threat research also changed. There was a time when I think uh, you would hear a lot about like zero days, uh, our time at uh, FireEye, right? Like I think uh, uh, we were heavily involved in zero day discovery centers. I think we had invested heavily in zero day discovery centers, uh, but things shifted. A uh, lot of software started to get patched. A lot of uh, softwares started to get uh, like... Um, uh, out of uh, actually organizations stopped using like I think Flash, Adobe Flash. Uh, what it happened in 2012, 2013. Now the threat uh, it has totally gone out of uh, fashion. You won't uh, hear men uh, like a uh, lot of zero days coming out of it. So uh, there were like a time where uh, zero days were happy. So threat is uh, uh, heavily uh, like coming out. Uh, in certain software stacks. So uh, threat research was focused on that areas. Uh, now the world has shifted. A lot of social engineering aspects are coming in. Cloud and uh, nation states uh, are getting hot again and in different regions. So definitely threat research evolved alongside with that. Yeah, especially now if you see Yasser, right? I mean, there's a lot of uh, ransomware attacks going on and a lot of crypto miners attack, right? Especially with the cloud infrastructure. I mean, you won't even realize and you, you might realize, oh, we have multiple crypto miners running which are con- consuming these <laughs> credits and then or burning cash like anything, right? You not even realize and then eventually start realizing that. So even in the startup world, I've, I've noticed that in a friend startup, I mean, they didn't realize that they were they had a crypto miner just installed and it was just like cranking through the, the credits that they had and just like burned them pretty much in in about a week or so. So, yeah, a lot of change, a lot of change in the course of years. So there's many acquisitions that have been happening across the industry involving SOAR technologies, some really big ones, in fact. What are your thoughts around SOAR and has it really solved the automation problem? 
Yeah, so uh, I mean, I was at I was at Splunk when uh, when the Phantom acquisition was uh, was about to happen, and I think the the first store uh, company, if I remember correctly, was uh, Resilient that that was picked up by IBM back in like four years ago, and then uh, most recently um, it was Demisto, um, right, getting uh, picked up by by Phantom, and in in the middle it was so company, I think, believe like. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, sorry, yeah, pa- by Palo Alto, and then there was Hexadite, right, which was also picked up. Uh, I I feel uh, so so definitely uh, uh, is trying to solve the problem, right? There's there's a problem that we all know about. There's uh, well, there's massive amount of alerts, so you need to do something about it, or even if you aggregate alerts, you have to work on the on the incident. So I I believe Soar is sort of becoming a incident. Uh, uh, I, I'll say an incident response uh, product, right? It's like a, it's like a beefed up ticketing system uh, that that the SOC team or the security team has to use instead of using uh, other IT centric ticketing system. Even though they are capable of doing the same function, but I think they're relying more on their own own product. Uh, but they still are challenges with so based on what we see um, uh, and have based on the discussions that we have had with different. Uh, uh, friends in the industry or, or, or vendors or, or, or customers, right, or, or prospects. So um, I think the, the way the store was designed, it's, I think, designed for a persona who understands security and who's a really good scripter. Uh, and I think it's hard to find people, uh, especially uh, who are good in both sides. Um, especially when you when you look at uh, the the kids which are coming out of school, right? I mean, it, especially when we were coming out of school, uh, either you who are passionate about uh, software programming and then you went really deep into the computer science side of the things, and you really didn't care about security. Uh, at least majority of the guys didn't care about security at that point. Or if you were really uh, heads down uh, into security, uh, you pretty much hated programming. So <laughs> it was it was hard to find out uh, the number of people who were who were basically inclined on both sides. So uh, uh, definitely, it's solving the problem. I think it, the the problem still uh, is uh, getting solved for this Fortune 100, Fortune 150, but it's not a mass market uh, play uh, at this point um, for sure. That's just just my thoughts. Yeah, um, and I, I would like to add kind of, uh, so SOAR uh, in a way really solved a problem for SIM uh, with uh, SIM started to talk about like, okay, uh, from uh, like um, alert aggregation and lo- a lot of things like SIM, SIM, when SIM came in, it introduced, introduced a problem and SOAR kind of fixed the problem for the SIM. And that's why you would see, okay, uh, the acquisitions that happened were uh uh, were kind of like uh, IBM started to pick up first um, uh, Phantom. Uh, um, no, actually Resilient. Yeah, so Resilient. Um, it it was trying to solve the uh, like uh, same problem uh, with QRadar. They had QRadar, so they picked it up. Uh, Splunk picked up uh, Phantom. So it, the problem was uh, it, it definitely solved the automation and uh, uh, automation problem that Sim introduced. Uh, it was solving a lot of problem, uh, problems, but it also introduced another uh, kind of uh, framework uh, that needed automation, that needed some special handling, and SOAR started to come in and solve that problem. Uh, and definitely, uh, we uh, it, 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 it is solving a very, very big pro- uh, problem of the, there's, there's massive workflows that gets repeated, and automating it makes def- uh, make sense for sure. Uh, it helps uh, security teams so it has played its part, and rightly so. I feel like with Soar, it's 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 interesting, right? It's like, hey, we've got this thing we got to throw on top of Seam, 
to help seem be more effective, but yet, you know, you still have to do a whole bunch with SOAR, right? And so I often wonder, as you talked about, like the underserved, you know, the fortune, we'll say thousand, you know, after that, like, you know, the small, medium business who, you know, need to be able to protect themselves, maybe can't afford an MSSP, you know, how do they, like, you know, is seem going to be the thing that is needed long-term um, or is there a better way to do like, what are you seeing, you know, out in the market as we relates to seam and where it's headed? Yeah, that becomes interesting, uh, especially when you, when you talk about, uh, mid market, uh, SMEs, right. Uh, I mean, it's pretty surprising that we would, we would, I mean, and same is pretty much, I think that second to the top, right, uh, from a, from a technology stack, especially if you look at the doctor reports, but I, it's surprising to see that these organizations don't have SEM. I mean, these organizations are pretty much relying on a, on a firewall, right? Uh, forget about having a SEM technology. And secondly, uh, I mean, we have seen a lot of organizations who would have a SEM, but what they're logging into SEM is pretty much ineffective. I mean, uh, there are only certain type of logs which are going in. And, and I mean, they are good, but... I mean, they don't have holistic visibility to even know what's going on. So, um, hard to say. I, I, I do feel um, same um, based on organization side uh, would be would be required. But uh, I think fundamentally, same is just trying to aggregate. I mean, if you think of why do you need a same, right? I mean, you have different products that generating alerts. They are not talking to each other. You need a central point of framework. Uh, a central repository where all these alerts are coming in. And then there's some sort of logic sitting on top of it, whether it be a rule-based logic, logic, whether it be machine learning-centric logic, or whatever it be, AI-centric logic, right? There's some sort of logic uh, or reasoning which is sitting on top of it, which is trying to look at these alerts from, from disparate systems and then trying to aggregate them and then create an incident out of it. So uh, fundamentally, I would say, yes, SIMs are, are needed. Uh, the question is uh, prioritization, right? Uh, SIM is not the first technology that uh, and that an organization can can leverage because it needs other products for it to function. It's not a it's it's a late stage detection product, it's a reactive detection product. It's not an active detection product, just like like a, a proxy that would sit in or an endpoint product would sit in or or, or a firewall would sit in. Like again, we are going back into layer defense, so that's why. So yeah, it's it's needed. Um, but I think it all depends on the maturity of the customer. I mean, they have to go through a mature cycle to get into the right phase of maturity and then uh, embrace it. So guys, we're talking about threat research and threat intelligence. We're talking about all these alerts that are flooding the, the socks, and, and we've gotten a little bit into SOAR here and how we're responding to these incidents and reacting to them. How about these threat intelligence feeds? I mean, they're a constant in these cybersecurity models. Can we live without these feeds? I mean, this, do we need to think about how we intake all this information. It's, it's just all information overloaded sometimes, I, I would imagine. Yeah, that's a tricky one. Yeah, threat intelligence feeds. Yeah, people love it. People hate it. But it's something that you have to uh, have. Uh, and uh, actually, it really depends on actually what your security strategy is. Uh, are you heavy on detection or uh, are you heavy on the prevention side of things? Threat intelligence feeds or threat intelligence in general, right? Like uh, uh, if, let's say, you are trying to solve primarily your 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 security problem or like uh, your advanced threats problem or malware detection problem using threat intelligence feeds or threat feeds uh, as a primary uh, primary uh, tool. Yeah, that is not going to solve your problem at all. Uh, but let's say uh, 
it's more of on, on a post detection side of things. You are trying to enrich data. You are you are okay with uh, having primary detection or prevention methodology somewhere else. But now that you have detected or prevented an attack, you want to understand more on how you who is attacking you, how is attacking you, or why it is uh, they are attacking you. Definitely, threat intelligence feeds they uh, they give a perspective. They bring context uh, to the alerts uh, alerts. So they definitely come in and help in that areas for sure. So, so do you think uh, there's going to be an intersection between AI and threat intelligence feeds? Like, you know, the confidence would have to be so high. Like what's happening in, in and around that space? I'm just curious. Yeah. So I have seen that uh, firsthand. Um, definitely. Uh, so one of the problem, so AI and uh, some of the uh, some some of the algorithm or methodologies in AI that are becoming more efficient and effective in detecting or at least uh, respective, uh, respectively or respectedly uh, detecting um, alerts or, or threats, they don't actually um, they lack interpretability. You won't be able to interpret uh, what this alert may be, or uh, uh, or what this malware is. So threat intelligence feed definitely have to come in. It may be the problem is threat intelligence will always be delayed. Uh, uh, so malware, when a new campaign comes in, when new unknown malware comes to the uh, comes in the in the wild, uh, you uh, like they will they will lack detection. They will uh, uh, lack labeling. Uh, what this malware is or what this uh, threat family is, uh, who the attacker is. And AI, when it is a um, lot of uh, algorithms like deep learning in that sense or machine learning, some some areas of machine learning, they will be able to have a respectable amount of efficacy around it, but they will not be able to tell you that, okay, what this is, is this even a ransomware or not? Is this, what is the name of the ransomware? So it, in that sense, definitely you will have to have Threat intelligence augmenting it. Uh, you can. It is actually can uh, will become. It, it is. <laughs> it is going. Another layer of problem is going to get exposed, and threat intelligence might have to uh, 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 solve that problem. Yeah, that's a shame. You know, we talked a little bit about you know frameworks, right? We mentioned the word frameworks here, right? And there's been a lot of talk about MITRE attack, right? Attack framework, right? Which is you know, sounds super cool, right? You know, and I'm curious to get your guys' take on. You know, is it, what, what do you have to say about it and, and, and what's the value at? Yeah, yeah really, this is, this is uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is back in the days. Like if we go back, everyone was talking about when, uh, when Lockheed Martin skill chain came and oh, everyone had to say, well, we are using Lockheed Martin skill chain. And now, I mean, we are hearing it from, from the vendors. Oh, I have a MITRE attack framework built in into my, into my product. So it's, it's, it's fairly cool. Even the way they write their name, it's pretty, pretty cool. They don't, uh, they don't cool, use right? proper I mean, look, <laughs> <laughs> ATT and CK, right? So that's pretty. That's pretty cool too. Um, I think uh, so. First of all, I think uh, it is uh, very heavily biased. I think in the Africa NATO, it's, I think it's very heavily biased towards uh, endpoint centric detection, right, versus network centric detection. But uh, it is. It it does add, It does give organization visibility into exposing, uh, especially uh, where 
the security gaps can exist uh, with regards to what techniques are being used, what tactics are being used, so that they can uh, they can heavily f- focus on that aspect and then maybe apply a right set of security controls uh, or postures or look for products which can help them uh, in uh, safeguarding themselves, right? But again, uh, I think, George and Andy, it boils fundamentally down to uh, what uh, where your organization is from a security maturity perspective and how large your organization is and how much budget do you have and how many people do you have, right? Because um, the level of detail that, that Mitre can throw back at you or some of the vendors who, who are working and leveraging that framework, uh, the amount of information that they can throw back on you is like, it's going to be overwhelming for you. I mean, you anyways are dealing with alerts and now this Mitre information throw gets thrown in and showing that, oh, this specific uh, uh, technique is uh, being heavily leveraged and this specific tactic is being heavily leveraged and this is where your weak spots are. What do you do about it? And most of the vendors actually... Uh, not uh, at this point in time uh, giving you, okay, what is my next best action? Like w- what is the next best step I'd need to take to, to mitigate it? They'll say, well, yeah, there's a problem that you have and go about fixing it. But again, uh, how do you fix it? Who's going to fix it? Uh, what is the best way to fix it? What, what's the best practice around fixing it? That information is not coming in. So it's cool, but uh, again, it needs to be actionable. I think uh, security in general has to be actionable, right? When you especially are building a product, uh, especially on a vendor side. Yeah, I love what you're saying there, too, about, you know, kind of giving you the next steps, you know, kind of, I mean, look, there's so much, you know, there's, look, there's so much talent, you know, the talent shortage is there, um, you know, socks are being built out all over the world, and you're going to have to grow a mature talent, and at the end of the day, right, there's not that, there's not enough mature senior cybersecurity practitioners, right, that are able to train everybody, so, I mean, yeah, I, I love where you're, you're, what you're saying about, you know, being able to try to help you know, the next generation of practitioners kind of get, you know, see the next couple steps in an automated fashion. I think that would be fantastic. Yeah. And yeah. Also, it depends on the security strategy as well, right? Like if let's say in your security strategy, so you are, uh, let's say using EDRs or certain security technologies, it, it definitely makes sense. But like the way it is getting incorporated in every single product, I have my doubts, like uh, the value add, for, uh, for for it um, and on top of that like how are even you utilizing it right like uh, let's say we know that okay uh, a threat in general or, or or an attack in general they have to go through phases uh, and there can be multiple objects or multiple uh, uh, multiple phases in the multiple phases of attacks a miter can be generated individually but how you visualize the full threat uh, of the flow of attack I think uh, we still haven't reached a maturity level where MITRE uh, alone might be able to help in that sense. For a single objects or sim- single phase of an attack, uh, it helps visualize us really, really good. Actually, it's at times, depending on your security strategy, if let's say you have ED- heavily invested in EDR or certain other technologies, it can help in threat hunting for sure. It can give visibility. Uh, and if you have a mature enough security personnel in your team, uh, they can definitely help them uh, take your hunting activities to the next level. Uh, but it, it may not be for everyone. Yeah. Appreciate that. So, guys, big question coming up. I mean, I, I like to ask this to some of our guests because I really never know what they're going to say, especially in the cybersecurity space because we have so many, so many problems and there's so many issues. But in your view, what is the biggest challenge in cybersecurity today? Yeah, so that was one of the things that we were also looking for um, when we were starting out Strike Ready. We met lots and lots of, I think, over the course of period, uh, we met of lots of C, uh, uh, 
personas in 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 a security team uh, all the way from CISO to the practitioners uh, even the T1 analysts and and those guys uh, what we realized at least in my, my opinion it is i think at a very high level it's an information overload uh, and uh, and information overload actually in different areas of it. I am very uh, like, I love the idea of like, okay, your security investment being uh, people process and product. And if you look at uh, the information overload, it's happening in all three areas uh, from a process point of view, from product point of view, and from the people point of view, they're all suffering from information overload. In my opinion, information overload is the biggest challenge in the security. Uh, just to give you an example, writing information overload for people, it may be uh, uh, as simple as alerts, um, uh, the massive amount of alerts that are coming in. Uh, the threat landscape is such that, okay, every other day, uh, uh, like uh, millions, their reports uh, where they quote that, okay, million new malware variants or million new threats uh, uh, samples are coming in. They Every single person, as of right now, they have to keep up to date, uh, themselves up to date with all these threats that are coming out there. So it's, and most of them are not even relevant to them. It's information overload for them. Like what is happening in that space? They're like some, uh, uh, some ways they try to filter it out, some technologies for it, some uh, geocentric uh, alerts for uh, uh, threat intelligence to them to at least filter out some of it. But there's information overload, overload over there. The same is the case in product side of things. There are like too many vendors, so many vendors. What you choose from, uh, you might have already deployed multiple same kind of technologies in in your organization just to feel safe. Uh, assuming that okay, maybe if one fails, the other one is there. But they generate massive number of uh, like when the same traffic is being seen by uh, multiple vendors, multiple products, they all generate logs and alerts and it causes, uh, it, it further causes that uh, issue as well. Same, so it's an information overload world that may be the biggest cybersecurity challenges and it applies in different areas. Yeah, and that's even bled outside of like, you know, amongst our community, right? And now it's into the business community. Everyone's looking at it going, man, when's enough enough? Are you just chasing your tail? Right, because it's just the this is so much hitting everybody at the same time, right? And then when you just zero in locally and within our community, right, then you break it down by the three P's, like you mentioned, right? It gets even exponential, right? Which so now that it's bled out of our community and in the business community, it makes it even harder, right? Because everybody's going, man, when's this going to end? Can we can we even deal with it? Yeah, and the other thing, uh, other thing we felt, right? I mean, uh, I think security is made overly complex. Um, I mean, the way we have been uh, uh, taught and ingrained for over the years of how you sell security is by selling fear, right? So that's that's how you sell security. You have, you have to sell fear, and then you sell security. That's just like how you sell insurance, right? So I, I feel that uh, there are two aspects of the biggest challenges that I see. First is. Um, that aspect may not be applicable for large organizations, right? But there's a shortage of people and talent, and especially like we just came back from New York like last week, and we met a lot of folks over there. And then the biggest problem that we saw was, I mean, we're just like two people who are running our entire security team, and we said, how large is the organization? They're like thousands of people. And how come two people? We we can't find people. So I think the first is there's there's a shortage of of talent. Uh, 
and that's that's increasing i mean there are a lot of folks which are uh, let's say you try to fill that gap with freshers out of school they don't have expertise so their skill uh, again falls falls apart right for security uh, the second thing is the, the biggest challenge that we see is security is made extremely complex uh, as security is is, uh, is is i mean there are a lot of technology which are far more complex i would say autonomous driving is far more complex than security uh, having a car to self drive itself but the way we project security is we have overly complicated it and i think that's the biggest challenge as well you have to just simplify security for masses to understand uh, give them the best possible suggestion give them the best possible recommendation and then you will start solving that problem at least one aspect of that problem fairly well so that's so what guys, how, how are we going to do mind. that and, and how do you see the, the cybersecurity community playing a role in solving these centric problems that really affect everybody yeah so i think uh, what we have like you mentioned right uh, uh, community it's very much needed and there have been some efforts in community that helped uh, reduce uh, some of the problems like okay threat intelligence without community it, uh, it would not have been um, where it is right now so um, and uh, for a lo- long uh, for so many uh, so, so uh, I'm trying to figure out, okay, so for how long I have been in the security industry and it has always been like, okay, the focus has been on uh, solving security problems in silos. Uh, people or vendors or security vendors, they're all trying to solve the same problem in a, in a very siloed way individually. Uh, I think the community has to come together uh, to solve this problem. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, there are barriers to that for sure. Uh, from sharing of the information of privacy and other things, uh, how we can leverage each other. There are definitely challenges. Uh, for example, right, uh, when all, you won't be able to disclose uh, even at a very abstract or high level that, okay, a certain organization is being hit by certain malware or certain kind of threats, uh, how effective they are being. That information never comes out. Like if somebody gets compromised or actually start to see a new campaign on threats, uh, that information uh, doesn't come out. Uh, But in the form of threat intelligence, uh, community is sharing among each other a lot of information and that is helping. So uh, we definitely need more avenues for that, uh, for uh, for where community comes together to solve the problem. That is a vision of Strike Ready as well. Uh, uh, when we set out, we're trying to fi- uh, figure out how we can bring the community, how, how we can bring uh, com- organizations together to solve this problem to, uh, in a different way, not in a siloed way. We, we want to bring, uh, bring together organizations to solve this cybersecurity problem. So do you think MSSPs are, are, are going to like, pretty much take over solving all these cybersecurity problems because people just seem to just keep buying and buying and buying them. I mean, will all security be outsourced at some point? No, it's, it's, I mean, I know uh, a lot of startups are emerging in that space and uh, they, they, they definitely are trying to solve the problem, uh, especially with talent, right? So they are hiring best of the best guys and um, now they are serving a lot of customers with those best of the best guys. But there is another wave that, uh, and that we just experienced that in New York, right? I mean, they're saying we saw MSSPs like left and right over there. And then uh, when we're talking to these folks, they said, no, we, we tried that. It's completely, it's not worth it. We moved to another MSSP. It's not worth it. Yeah, we into the third one. So um, I think organizations, what they're embracing is they, they want this alert, for, especially the, the alert overload, right? To be handled by someone else. I mean, they want the steer one tier two function. Uh, of a SOC analyst be handled by them. They want those guys to vet it out. 
they want information to be sent back to them, which a tier three can say, okay, and then they can go about dealing with the incident response side, right? Unless it's a, it's a managed, uh, it's an MDR, right, uh, 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 facility. So uh, I, I don't think that they will take over. They will definitely supplement um, uh, an organization, but there will be a lot of organizations who will not use MSSPs, right? And again, you're using them because of the fundamental problems, right? The problems of talent shortage is a the fundamental problem that you made security too complex that a novel person cannot understand it and he does not know what to do next, right? Um, and and that's uh, and a lot overload and you, you name it, right? And that's the reason why these MSSPs are. But I mean, if you solve the problem in a different way, then maybe they might start uh, using more effective tools to uh, amplify how many accounts they can handle, or maybe they start disappearing. We never know. It's too early, too early to say. Yeah, and and some of the challenges still applies to MSSPs as well, like a cybersecurity skill shortage uh, and a talent shortage. It, it, at times, it applies to them. Uh, one area where it it it, uh, it helps is like okay, it gives visibility. Uh, like okay, you as an organization, it can community element is kind of over over there. Uh, you as an organization is trying to solve your own problem. You don't know what is happening around there, but MSSP at least they have visibility. Right. Like they, uh, they they will have visibility of how certain things are rolling out or playing out in uh, like uh, uh, ac- across certain uh, a different set of organizations. So they can uh, they can have a little bit more visibility and uh, they can solve certain problems better. But definitely um, not a, a widespread usage. We see it uh, in near future. All right, gentlemen, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors. But don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from our special guests, the co-founders of Strike Ready. Mr. Yasir Khalid and Mr. Anurag Gurtu. Listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. 
As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guests, the co-founders of Strike Ready, Mr. Yasir Khalid and Mr. Anurag Gurtu. So, guys, is there any area within cybersecurity that you can think of that's not touched in any way? Or in a sense, is there room for startups to start asking VCs for money to when they don't re- actually replace an existing product to trying to solve a problem where no one else has ever gone before? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, see, detection is uh, overly crowded space. So um, coming up with another detection product is, I, I think it's going to be becoming, it's going to become harder and harder for VCs to understand what's the difference because most of them are, are not that on not not heavily on the on the technical side, right? They're more on the business side. So again, they always ask about okay, what are you going to replace? But I think uh, based on what what we are seeing is, uh, especially in uh, some of the discussions that we have had, is can you simplify security? Right? If you are taking that human element, uh, and especially which is the theme of RSM, we were very surprised to see that RSA took that theme as well uh, for the first time, the human element, right? If you can focus on people uh, in general uh, and then try to solve the problem from a, from a people angle. Uh, you are talking about a new budget cycle, uh, and it's it's going to help. It's going to help in a lot of ways. I mean, it's going to help in one of the ways that the SOAR products try to solve on the automation side. But again, they were not a mass market. I mean, uh, not generally a mass market uh, play, right? Um, so I believe that maybe the a new segment is like the human element segment. I would call it that may that may be the the one, uh, the right one or the new one. I see. So. Should people continue to buy analytics as an ad hoc product to understand their, their security posture or are SIMs supposed to provide it and, you know, do we need to think outside the box in this sense? Yeah, fundamentally, I, th- I believe that the SIMs were uh, supposed to uh, give you uh, excessive amount of visibility. I mean, that was the premise, right? I mean, aggregate information, um, tell us what to act upon and then give us uh, ex- extensive amount of analytics. I mean, they have thrown in analytics using dashboards, but again, it, they have made it extremely complex. I mean, so many charts, so many dashboards, so many widgets, like what do you look at? What do you do after that? Uh, they, they 
are trying to solve that problem, I don't think they have solved the problem. And now if you look at uh, outside of the security world, right? I mean, I spent some, some of my time outside of the security world to look at from a, from a business intelligence, business analytics perspective. I mean, the way that these products have, have leapfrogged and the direction that they're moving and the velocity they're moving in, I mean, the current security products are not catching up. So there, there has to be a, a convergence or there has to be a complete rethinking of of uh, what do you mean by analytics when you have this massive amount of data, right? Is it actionable analytics or is it just like a dashboard popping up in nice colors and fonts that you, uh, or numbers that you just have to like, look at and say, well, I have a good amount of analytics which is coming out of my product. It's completely not actionable. So uh, interesting problem to solve. Maybe some startups may solve that problem too, but yeah, we, we feel that there is, uh, there, is, there, is, uh, there is a gap. All right, guys. Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. I know you guys are in the middle of a whole bunch of things, including personal issues with this, this, all the fires that are going out there, the power outages and the storms and the winds blowing. I mean, I really appreciate you, you know, taking the time to speak with us. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks, John. All right, guys. All right, guys. I appreciate you. Hey, folks, before we go, I want our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.